seems like a simple question. Mm-hmm. It's not. I Because it's I not get, yes or no answer. It's not yes or no. I get in trouble answering this sometimes. A lot of people don't like to hear what I have to say. Okay. But I'll say it anyway. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the authors of Where Should We Camp Next? Where Should We Camp Next? National Parks. And Where Should We Camp Next? Budget Camping. This year, we are celebrating the 10th anniversary of the RV Atlas podcast. We hope you join us as we cover the best campgrounds, the best RVs, the best food, and the best gear to bring with you when you go. So pull up a chair and join us around the digital campfire. This is the RV Atlas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's Q&A episode of the RV Atlas podcast. We are going to take three questions again from members of the RV Atlas group on Facebook. We're going to give you our answers and share some answers from the group. The three questions today, really good ones. Uh, the first question is about RV links and national parks. Like somebody asked about getting, can I get a 38-foot RV and still do lots of national and state parks? The second question is about things to do in Pigeon Forge on an RV trip, which there's like 500 things to do. There's just yeah. like so many things to do. Um, classic, classic RV trip. It is definitely a classic RV trip on the eastern half of the country for sure. And then another interesting question about somebody who is going to Florida, but is winterized and they're, and it's still really cold where they are. So they're trying to figure out if they should winterize and then drive to Florida or drive to Florida and then de-winterize rather. We've done um, it every which way. <laughs> yeah. So I had, I had some interesting kind of thoughts there and some interesting responses. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of RV Atlas listeners do go on RV trips in the winter when their RVs are winterized and have to tackle this. But before we dive into those three questions, just a couple quick kind of updates and things I want to talk about here in RV Atlas world. First, Stephanie, over on the Campground Confidential podcast this week, <laughs> you interviewed a campground owner named Kat Berta. Now, Cat Berta is a rising star when it comes to campground owners, period, in this country. Definitely and, in your universe. You're a KOA. big fan. <laughs> I am too, but you've been a big fan of Cat since you met her a while ago. She's been on the podcast I, twice. So yeah. she was on last summer and the summer before. And what Cat doesn't know is that she's now an RV Atlas correspondent. <laughs> she's, she's been. I haven't told her this yet, <laughs> I but know. besides being a busy campground owner, she is now also one of our correspondents because she's so good. No, oh, she's a good sport, so she'll probably roll with the punches on that one. Yeah, but it's such a good interview, and your Campground Confidential podcast is intended for campground owners. It is. <laughs> but I still do think RV Atlas podcast listeners, uh, a lot of the episodes they will really enjoy. So listening to Kat on your podcast talk about running the Brattleboro North Carryaway, I think would be a great podcast for a lot of our listeners, right? Yeah, I think that anybody that likes that behind the scenes, you know, some people are like, why I camp to enjoy camping? I definitely don't want to think about the business behind it or, you know, or the marketing behind it or what the owners are doing. And then there's other people that just really love behind the scenes stuff. And if you are one of those people, then you'll like this podcast because it really is. I'm trying to talk to, you know, I'm trying to talk to owners who really have stories to tell, you know what I mean? And who really engaged with their guests and their audience and their demographics and everything and who are doing interesting things in the space. So I mean, that's my goal. So I hope that it's interesting. Um, it was a great I episode. Loved, yeah, I loved interviewing Kat. It was really fun. And I think that um, her 
you know, attitude, her tone towards what she's doing is just the best possible one for a campground owner to have. And I think she's one of these next generation campground owners that's also really into camping and RVing. And that's well, not that's not to say that older owners don't really camp and RV. No. Um, but she yeah. like when her campground shuts down in the winter, like her and her family get in the RV and go south and they go on a huge RV trip. So Yeah. I, so we had a schedule around some of her campground stops, right? We were talking about where she was going to be and when and when it would be easiest to record. And I will say at one point she was in Pigeon Forge. All right. So we're going to talk about <laughs> she was there. Um, and then at another point, guess where she was? Fort Wilderness. I there know. you go. Yeah. <laughs> she was in Fort Wilderness. I was jealous. <laughs> so I te- after I listened to her on your podcast, I texted her and I was like, don't think you're off the hook this summer for an RV Atlas episode. And I was like, I don't know what you're coming on for. We'll figure it out. But you're coming on. <laughs> She's on the schedule. <laughs> She's on the schedule. All right. So um, next thing I want to talk about, our next book. I can't, I really can't believe how time flies. Our next book, Where Should We Camp Next? Budget Camping, is coming out in just about a month on April 2nd. And uh, I feel a little unprepared for the release of a whole new book. And I, we have to, like, I have to rev it up and we have to rev it up, let everybody know. And I just think in a lot of ways, this might be the best book we've ever done. Maybe the biggest book. My it's gosh, so the ARCs came, and it's such a thick book. Well, <laughs> it's we got responded. a lot of budget camping in it. <laughs> we responded yeah. to feedback. Everyone right. said we want more campground reviews. That was the number one. I would say, quote unquote, negative. You know, negative is uh, we we appreciate feedback, and that was the number one thing in the fifty state guide. And we were kind of like, you know, you kind of roll your eyes and you're like, people, there's fifty states. Think about like we're how many campgrounds can we possibly put in each state? It was hard. We really struggled to narrow it down. It did. It wasn't like we didn't want to give people a bunch of options, but like that was a thick book, and we really couldn't put more than what in like eight. There's to- like three hundred and forty campground reviews in the whole book, but you, yeah. our, our readers have to understand our publisher and publishers in general. This sounds weird to a reader. They don't actually always like really thick books. No, of course not. It costs more money to make. It's not just that, but I think that also like some <laughs> and people, uh, yeah, and people, so people like, yeah, people, people don't like, like to hold like, a book that's not ridiculously thick, right? You don't want an encyclopedia, right, or like something that looks too like like a resource book or whatever. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but we really so. But even though we knew that we had to limit the campgrounds. Um, we, that was the number one piece of feedback that we really wanted to respond to. We wanted to give people basically as many campgrounds as our publisher would let us get away with. <laughs> we exceeded our word count by like 10,000 words. Yikes. If they let and they us didn't do say it. anything. They let us they do it. They didn't say anything. They Nobody. Let us do it. We didn't get chastised. This is a 50 <laughs> state guide to the best budget friendly campgrounds in the country. Nothing yeah. over a hundred dollars a night. And most of them are way less than that. And it's that. not like repetitive, right? So there are obviously budget campgrounds in the National Parks book. Hello, they're National Park campgrounds. So there's a lot of budget camping in that National Park book, but it wasn't like we just copy and pasted. No, we really intentionally, it's a very different book than the National Parks book. So the budget book does have some National Park campgrounds where it's the most obvious. Like, yeah. I'm not going to not put a Yellowstone campground. I'm not going to put a Glacier campground. Mm-hmm. But the National Parks book is going to have way more on National Parks camping. This budget camping book has tons of state parks, lots of county parks, lots of Army Corps of Engineers parks, mm-hmm. lots of national forests, 
some harvest hosts locations, right? believe it or not, we worked with harvest hosts to get some of their locations in. Which they are, they don't give up very easily. So we no. had to be, oh, they're so, so greedy secret. about their locations. And we had to really do a lot of like whining and dining. We did. <laughs> and then also what I'm, you know, what we're both proud of is that it's not just all public campgrounds. We really very intentionally sought out mom and pop campgrounds, family owned private campgrounds with full hookups and amenities that have kept their pricing reasonable. Mm -hmm. I think this is a great book. I think that if you spend the money on this book, you will save thousands of dollars camping over the next decade. All right. So the last thing so I'll say about it. it's a steal, yeah. It's a steal. Please pre-order. It actually really helps authors when you pre-order their books. It's a vote of confidence in the book. It helps our publisher figure out how many to print. It helps Amazon figure out how many to buy. It's a big part of the equation. So pre-ordering Well, let's face it. It's like the us. algorithm. It juices the algorithm, you know. It juices that algorithm. The algorithm. Our whole lives dictated by an algorithm. The Matrix needs you to pre-order our yes. book for the yeah. Matrix to function correctly. Mm -hmm. Last thing I want is to just say something about the RV Atlas group on Facebook. These Q&A podcasts are pulled from the RV Atlas group on Facebook. I know we have a lot of podcast listeners who are not on Facebook, and bless you. Yeah. I'm not trying to lure you into social media if you're that type of person. But I wanted to shout out our Facebook group. When I think of what I like doing the most out of all the things we do, like what I'm proud of doing, it's doing the podcast, it's writing the books, and then like social media never enters that equation for me. Like I'm never like, I'm so proud of no. our Instagram. No, I'm so <laughs> proud of our TikTok. No. But I have actually, in the last few months, there have been so many nice comments in the RV Atlas group about what, it, what, you know, what a nice group it is, mm -hmm. non-confrontational, very friendly, non-cranky, helpful. And we've had people just sort of give us shout outs and say, Jeremy, Stephanie, thank you so much for moderating this group. It means a lot to me. And now like, like I'm proud of being the moderator of the RV Atlas group. Oh, put on your LinkedIn. <laughs> and when people ask me what I do for, you know, what I do. Oh, geez. Well, it's definitely not moderate. what you do for a living. Being a moderator of Facebook group is not going to pay the bill. <laughs> it's, I, it, you know, I thank you. I thank, you know, you for, for being a moderator. I thank all the people in the RV Atlas group. We've kept it a private group. We could open it up to the masses. And it could be huge. And we can make so much money. Everybody's making money off of their Facebook groups and everything. I would run from that. I know. We don't. We don't. Um, thank you to our sponsor. It, this is a thing. As I'll, this is really off topic, but I will take a minute to say this. We are so grateful that we've maintained a commitment to getting sponsors to pay for the stuff that we do because people don't get this. They think, oh, I got to listen to ads. It keeps us from having to sell to you all the time. That's what everybody else is doing. We're right? not selling timeshares. We're not, <laughs> not selling group. all the time. We're not, uh, we're not doing affiliate links. We're not doing, it helps us actually keep our content really pure in a way. So, uh, you know, it's not easy. Everybody else is making money different ways, right? On, on social media and on their websites. And we have sponsors that are really relevant to our audience. And to be quite frank, after all these years, right, it's our 10th anniversary. I'm so grateful that we dug in on that business model because I think it just helps us interact with our audience in just such a real way because we're not always trying to get them to click on some stupid link. And with that in mind, before we head into our Q&A, <laughs> we have a sponsored message from our, friends, from our friends at Campco. And I want to say this. 
I love Campco. They make such cool stuff for RV folks and camping folks. They make such great products. They're really, really affordable. And actually, the people at Campco are like really kind of funny and nice. Like hey, real can I, I, I like I completely agree. But I do want to say one thing before we dive into the message that you did mention mention some people aren't on Facebook. They I think that we should tell people that they could email us if they had a question that they wanted us to answer. True, true, true. Right? Like it's kind of unfair if we have really like listener if listeners are really engaged and they want us to talk about something. I think it's only fair to say that they can email us. Let's do it now. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have a question for us that you want us to answer on the podcast. You can email me at jeremy at rvfta.com. Jeremy at rvfta.com. You could give them Jeremy at the RV Atlas. I don't check that as much. I'm sorry. I know, I know it's it like. all goes to one place. Well, all right, fine. You can also email Jeremy at the <laughs> rvatlas.com. Yeah, you can email Jeremy or Stephanie at the rvatlas. Just email Stephanie. <laughs> she, he doesn't know how the emails work. She doesn't get enough email. All right. No, after, we're going to come back in a second. We're going to answer some questions from the RV Atlas group. Before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Camco. Camco is one of our favorite companies in the outdoor recreation industry. For more than 50 years, they have remained a trusted North Carolina-based manufacturer specializing in innovative products for the RV, marine, outdoor living, and outdoor recreation markets. You may know them best by their American-made Rhino sewer hoses, Taste Pure water filters, EvoFlex drinking water hoses, and TST toilet chemicals. But their lineup of products doesn't end there. Camco continues to deliver products that bridge the gap between you and your next great adventure. From portable grills and campfires to ease lift hitches and power grip electrical adapters, they seem to be doing it all. There's a saying that if you own an RV, you are sure to own a Camco product or two. And it's true. We still use Camco products that we bought 12 years ago when we started RVing. This year, we are stocking up our new RV with go-to Camco products like their collapsible laundry basket and their life is better at the campsite dishes and mugs. Head to CampcoOutdoors.com to check out all of the cool stuff that Camco makes and get 10% off your entire order with our discount code RVATLAS10. Welcome back to the show, everybody. The very first question on this RV Atlas Q&A episode is from Kelly Harper. Kelly Harper wrote into the RV Atlas group and, and asked this, is 37 feet 6 inches too big to park at state parks and national parks? That's where we plan to do most of our camping. Seems like a simple question. Mm-hmm. It's not. I. I because it's I not get, yes or no answer. It's not yes or no. I get in trouble answering this sometimes. A lot of people don't like to hear what I have to say. Okay. But I'll say it anyway. If you primarily want to camp at national parks, particularly national parks, more than state parks, and state parks, I would not get an RV that big, personally. Jeremy would not. Yeah. I would keep the RV, and there's no magic length. That's what people want to hear. Well, what's the magic length? Well, every, all these campgrounds are different. I would definitely stay under 30 feet if that was of primary interest to you. And that's mostly because of the national park campgrounds more than the state park campgrounds. So even that is complicated. National park campgrounds were built in the 50s, the 60s, and RVs were smaller. Uh, The roads are tighter. There's a lot more trees. There's overhanging branches. Tow vehicles were smaller. (laughs) Tow vehicles were smaller. Mm. They were just not designed for today's modern 
larger RV is. Yeah. And I say that after having been to national park campgrounds across the country. Now, someone will always chime in and say, well, I went here and got a site for my 40-foot fifth wheel. So yeah, you did. I'm sure you did. But there was probably only one or two of those sites. And it's much more competitive to get them. So the larger the RV gets, the fewer sites are going to be available to you Mm -hmm. at national parks. If you don't believe me, go to recreation.gov, pick out 10 campgrounds you want to visit on your bucket list, start plugging in this RV length that you think you're going to buy yeah, and see what you find. Um, There's just not as many sites out there. I mean, I I think that you agree with me on this national park side of Uh, the issue. Right, because there's two different things. National parks have not had the influx of capital that some of the um, in the campgrounds that some of the state parks have, right? And state park campgrounds, you can't talk about state park. It's very hard to, like, as if it's one thing, right? Because you have some states that have dedicated an extraordinary amount of resources to build out their campgrounds and to modernize them in the recent years and can really handle much bigger rigs, even to the extent that, like, you they, they have hookups and everything, right? Because a lot of the times these bigger rigs, too. Here's another issue that people... It's not just bigger. A lot of the time, bigger is also outfitted very specifically to be hooked up to um, utilities. So I know that may sound weird, but like residential refrigerator, right? Like a lot of the time that will be a part of a 37, 38 foot RV. So it gets a little more complicated than just, you know, the length and also what you need to use to tow something that big. So part of the problem is not just the length of the site, it's the turns within a campground and people with really big rigs can get stuck getting in or out. I know um, (laughs) Gretchen had a hilarious story, right? About, yes, they could fit into this site with their truck. Uh, They have a van and the toy hauler, but they got so pinned like one time backing in or out, like it was like they were going to take a tree out. It was almost like it was like impossible to get out. That was like a provincial park in Nova Scotia. Right. Like, and that can happen. Well, and what your, one of your points uh, I want to follow up on, if you have one of these larger motor homes or larger fifth wheels, you might also have a generator. There might also be generators. You might, a generator hours at a national park service campground. You might also have tent campers right next to you that don't want to hear that. Now, if you have a big solar setup, that doesn't matter as much. But for national park camping, advantage goes to smaller campers and yeah. all of our experience. Now, on the state park side of things, it you were kind of alluding at this. It depends on what state you're talking about. Yeah, it's such New a difference. New Jersey state parks? No, they are not friendly at all for larger RVs. No. Texas state parks are much friendlier for larger RVs. Mm-hmm. Somewhere like Delaware, modernizing their sites, trying to welcome in larger RVs because they have the funding and they're making the investments. So a lot of our listeners in the South will say, oh, state parks are very big rig friendly. And yes, in most places in the South, they are. But in the Northeast, I can tell you, New York State, not big rig friendly. New Jersey, not big rig friendly. Well, Um, it even depends. Like if you're talking about South Carolina, a state that's heavily invested in their campgrounds, you're going to have some of those campgrounds that like that are easy to deal with a bigger rig like Myrtle Beach State Park or Huntington Beach State Park. Then you're going to go into that more mountainous region that the they Paris have. Paris Mountain State Park. Yeah, I think <laughs> right. that one's a tougher one for bigger rigs. Where you're going to struggle. So it's just, there's no easy answer to this. And 
if you need to really think about how upset you're going to be if you can't get into certain national and state parks. Like you're making a choice that could like don't buy a 37 foot RV and then spend your time with that RV being mad that you, you can't, can't get, get into state and yeah. national parks because you're really kind of setting yourself up for this situation. And, and go ahead and buy the larger RV, but you might be camping outside of the mm-hmm. national parks and the KOAs. And there's a whole, you know, there's a whole kind of network and a whole way to do that at private campgrounds outside of national parks. And many of those are great campgrounds. Um, so Craig Dashner wrote, or wrote in response, in state and national parks, the longer you are, the fewer options you will have, and there will be more competition for those fewer sites. Camping is a game of give and take. The benefits of a longer camper cost you access. So Craig's kind of on the same page as us. Yeah, I think that sums it up. Kristen Seals points out, it depends. It can be hard to get into some campgrounds in national parks because of road conditions. Mm -hmm. For example, you cannot get into the Chisos Basin Campground in Big Bend National Park with more than a 24-foot trailer. So it's sometimes the sites are big enough and the roads are not accommodating to get the larger RVs in. Uh, then Judy Tanner Tyler pointed out that Georgia and surrounding states have uh, state parks with larger sites. As we said, in the South, you often find much. Look, I, I, it pains me to say this. In many ways, the South is much more RV friendly than the Northeast. That's a how huge is it? But that why does statement. it mean you like? It, it's newer. The infrastructure is just newer. I mean, like we live in an area in the Northeast where infrastructure is much older. And it's at a premium, like a plot of land around here costs a pretty penny, right? And then you go more west and you've got these huge open spaces and free camping and everything like that. Like, it's just regional differences, right? Totally true. All right, our next question. Clay Johnson wrote into the RV Atlas group to ask or to say, uh, quote, this is such a great group. Thank, Thank you, Clay. You, Craig. Clay, I'm sorry, Clay, Clay Johnson, Clay. not Craig. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd see if anyone had suggestions of things to do in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. We'll be staying at the KOA uh, close to the action, planning a five-day stay for spring break. Of course, there is the obvious Dollywood, but what else do you recommend for a family with younger kiddos? Thanks in advance and happy motoring. The thing that blew me away, Stephanie, there was a lot of great responses. We've done two big camping trips to Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And there are so many things that people mentioned that we didn't do because there's just yeah. so much to do around Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg and Townsend and Great Smoky Mountains well, National Park. Yeah. And to our kids are a little funny with this. Like, so Dollywood, first of all, is amazing. And everybody in our family is big fans of the Dollywood. The cat's meow for we both rides and live music and food and everything. Yeah. Like, Disney World good. It is not cheap. And it's one of those places where, to me, it's worth the big price tag. More so than sometimes how much the other things are that you go to that are like for a family of five kind of expensive. And you're like, really? But it's really funny for our kids. They don't love a lot of the other touristy things. Like they're just, they love. We were at Margaritaville last time when we were in Pigeon Forge, and they would have rather really been um, sitting around the pool, right, after we were in the park for the day than going to some of the stuff. Right. Yeah, so we want to be hiking in the park in the morning. They want to be hanging out at the pool in the afternoon, and then Dollywood sets the bar high, and other things don't seem that great to us. 
after but the Anne, fact. Anne, oh, no. Amy did mention the Apple Barn in Gatlingburg. Um, and we love the Apple Barn. So, yes, I can say that that was. And also the Dixie Stampede. I think that that was um, recommended quite a few times. And I would say you're going to get a lot of that live music in Dollywood. It's one of the reasons why we love it. But also if you want to you splurge on something, that live performance is kind of a big part of, you know, the touristiness of Pigeon Forge. So look at all the available shows and think about what y'all might want to attend. Liz highly recommends Magic Quest and depending on age, the Titanic Museum. Renee recommends Anacosta, hands down. Just go for the views and the Shandola ride. Did I say that right? Shandola? I don't even know where that is. Yeah. And she said that we also did the Hatfield and McCoy dinner show. The show was amazing, but the food was just okay. Yeah. I think if the show's amazing, I'm okay with the food being okay. And then our kids also, years ago, we did the Wonder House and they really did like that too. I think it's better for younger kids, not necessarily for the older ones. Um, and then of course, everybody loves the like mountain roller coasters, right? Those are always a big hit. So there's no shortage of things to really do. I would recommend definitely diving in to the live entertainment. I think that it kind of is what makes Pigeon Forge um, just really fun. Lots of great bluegrass and country options all over the place. Mm-hmm. And Dollywood's one of the best places to do it. Um, Elisa said not going to Smoky Mountain National Park would be a crime. No, well, I don't think Clay was saying he I was not going to go to the park. No, I think it's more like what else but is I there agree to do? Yeah. Eliza or Elisa, I'm sorry. I totally agree. Like, like for us, we go to go to Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And even when our kids were little, we were taking them on serious hikes. So like take them up to Klingman's Dome. It's an awesome drive and not that crazy of a hike. Uh, go to Cades Cove and do the loop. You know, do the drive. You'll see wildlife. You might see bear. Um, it, while you're in Cades, Ho- Cades Cove, the Abrams Fall hike to the waterfall is awesome. And most kids can do it. You know, it's not such a crazy hike that you can't do it with little kids. The Alum Cave hike. Mm. Um, a classic Great Smoky Mountains National Park hike that has the rushing streams, the, the lush green forests. It's magical. Uh, And we, you know, look, I'm kind of also proud of the fact that we took our kids hiking when they were really, really little. Like we didn't wait till they were eight or nine or 10. And we always tell our listeners, you know, get them out there and get them hiking, get them in the park. But of course, there's all the other things to do as well. So just an amazing, amazing destination for an RV trip. Our last question comes from Lisa Moxie Swan. Looking for advice, please. Our camper is winterized with pink stuff. We're taking it to Florida next Friday. It's been unreasonably warm here, so we were hoping to dewinterize it before we leave. However, the forecast is calling for temps of 27 and 24 degrees the two nights before we depart. We will be driving directly to our campsite in Florida where we do not have sewer, and that's an important part of her question, just a dump station. Would our best plan be to stop at a truck stop along the way and dewinterize there? I'm hesitant to tie up the campground dump station for that as soon as we get there. Thanks for any advice. So what I would do in this situation, I would not want to dewinterize somewhere on the way. Well, first of all, let's just take truck stop off the table. I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. I just would be stressed out. It would make the drive stressful. Mm -hmm. I also wouldn't want to drive all the way down there and then show up kind of all tired 
and then have to dewinterize there. Now, she's not on a full hookup site with sewer, everybody. So it's not so simple as showing up at your site, running fresh water through the system, and just going camping. Right, because we've done that. We've showed up at a full hookup site in the spring and dewinterized at the campground. Yeah, because, well, and she doesn't have sewer at her site, so she'd fill up her tanks quite a lot. So if she were to dewinterize on this site without sewer hookups, she would fill up her tanks. And I'm sure she doesn't want to waste all the tank space. Mm-hmm. And if she fills up her tanks, then she's got to go to the dump station. It's a big to-do to show up at this campground and then do it. So what I, and I thought about this, what, this is what I would do. I would dewinterize my RV at home, get all the pink stuff out of the system, take care of all that at home. And then I would sort of do a half winterize and I'd blow out all the lines with compressed air to get all the water in the lines out of the system or as much as I possibly could. And then I would just leave the heat on in the RV for those couple of cold nights before leaving so that then I could drive down and not have that on my mind that I have to dewinterize. Florida's a long drive. And then basically you show up at your campsite, you hook up to water. And you're off to the races as far as I can think through this issue, right? I would just, I would do it at home and then blow out the lines with compressed air. If anybody else has a better idea, send no. me an email. This is the case you just sent, throw money at the problem, right? It's going to cost you a little to run the propane for those two cold nights. But to me, that would be worth it to take the pain off the table, right? And just be like, our camper will be ready on the way down. We can be using the restroom at rest stops and everything. I think 100% that's the way to go as long as they understand to not have water in the system still. You've dewinterized, but you're blowing out the line so you don't have all this water in there. And you're running the heat on low, put it on the lowest setting and leave all of the doors open in the camper and all of your cabinet doors open and stuff just so the air circulates a little bit easier around those pipes. Now, there were some very civilized exchanges and answers to this question. Uh, So Steve (laughs) wrote in, don't worry about tying up the dump station at the campground. The busiest time will be towards checkout time. If you're getting there in the afternoon, you'll be fine. Safe travels. But then Rick responded, except that you would need fresh water on board with which to flush the system since the water at the dump station is non-potable. Good point. Mm -hmm. Lisa responded to Rick, ah, thanks. Glad you thought of that for me. Um, And then I wrote in my answer about what I would do. And I I think a lot of people kind of liked that answer and thought that was a pretty reasonable answer to dewinterize at home, blow out the lines with compressed air, head on down to Florida, right? And get, get to the campground and start camping. Um, Rob Groves offered another kind of suggestion there that might work. Dewinterize at your campsite. Use a bowl to catch the antifreeze from the faucets as opposed to letting it fill your tanks. Pour it into a five-gallon bucket and take it to the dump station. So that could work too. I mean, um, it, look, if you they could. To me, it's just 100% not worth the trouble. Yeah, and, you know, here's the thing I'm just thinking now. Um, maybe the person that asked the question, which was Lisa, Maybe they had somebody winterize their RV for them now because they're yeah. now because they're talking about do you I don't know. It, no, I, think. Just, I it, think they're just worried about the cold nights and yeah. they don't have to be. It's just gonna cost you some money in propane as long as you don't have any water in the system. If any of you find Done. yourself in this situation and you have not winterized your own RV before, like you pay to get it done at a dealer, I would give you this piece of advice. And this is coming from somebody that's not ridiculously handy with RVs necessarily at all. You need everyone needs to learn to winterize their RV. I think it's really important that if you're an RV owner, you can do it yourself. 
just so you don't get stuck in situations where the cold comes all of a sudden and your appointment's a week from now, or you're driving to Florida and you don't, you know, you want to kind of do the half winterized thing that I suggested, but you're like, I don't know how to blow out the lines with compressed air. It's important to learn how to fully winterize your own RVs. So those were the three questions for this week's RV Atlas Q&A. And we'll be back next week with more questions and answers. And I love Stephanie's idea. If you are listening to this podcast, but you're not in the Facebook group, uh, we will not say shame on you. We will say no, good for fine. you. Good for don't you. spend your time on social media if you don't want to. But feel free to send <laughs> us emails with any questions you might have about RV life, camping life, whatever you want. What and do you want us to talk about? <laughs> we'll see you all at the campground at the budget camping site. Comes out April second. Right. See you at the campground. Pre-order now. Thank you so much for joining us for the 10th anniversary season of the RV Atlas. To find out more about the topics discussed on this show, head on over to the RVAtlas.com. And to join the friendliest group of RVers, head on over to the RV Atlas group on Facebook and make sure to join us on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at the RV Atlas. And if you enjoy our show, please consider leaving us a review over on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And make sure to pick up copies of Where Should We Camp Next, wherever books are sold. And we will see you at the campground.